Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the latest edition of the Cheapest Meal presented by Deep Fried Draft. My name is Brian Bosarge. The uh, 2019 NFL Scouting Combine is in the books. Um, the, the the track is still burning up there in Indianapolis. Some crazy times, uh, some crazy just testing just up there this week. So a lot of a uh, lot of got to go back to the tape on some of these guys. Uh, my first. Uh, Combine review, the offensive player portion is up at deepfriedraft.com. You can check that out. New mock draft this week, uh, all new position rankings, all that good stuff coming up at deepfriedraft.com. But without further ado, tonight's guest, we're going to talk a lot of Bengals with this man. He is the writer for The Athletic. He is the co-host of the Locked on Bengals podcast. And a man about two months ago I formally introduced to Banana Pudding. He is Joe Goodberry. Joe, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Hey, man. Always uh, always a pleasure. So let's jump right into the combine. It's the thing that's freshest on our minds, I would imagine. Uh, mm-hmm. From a Bengals perspective, uh, what stood out to you? That there's probably 15 guys I would consider at number 11, and that's a good thing, right? I mean – Normally, and I think I think of last year, really the last two years, because they picked ninth, 12th before trading back last year, and then 11th this year. So three straight years of picking top 12. And in, in the previous two years, I always felt like they were just outside of the cutoff range for a blue-chip prospect, and it ended up going that way for the most part, besides Derwin James sliding a little bit last year for where they would have been at 12. Uh, And now when I look at it, I don't feel that way this year. I think there's a good, strong group for the first maybe even 20 players, and then it it starts to slide after that, uh, which is great. I mean, even some have considered, is this a a year where you can trade down because there's so many good guys that not only have the tape, the production, but now we can put the last box and check it off for a lot of these players as they have the measurables. Right, right. I was, you know, and I think it, and it also could correlate with, you know, what perceived team needs like linebackers because you could see both Devin White and now Devin Bush both going to be on the board at 11 and possibly in a trade-back scenario like you talked about. Uh, right tackle in play with Jonah Williams and Andre Dillard, I think is a guy that yep. you're probably a lot higher on now than you were three weeks ago. So uh, sure. it, it could be interesting there. Yeah, and the thing is, and, and people will say, well, how does Dillard just rise like that, you know, all, all based on testing? And it's really not just based on testing. Of course, if he tests like an elite athlete the way he did, uh, that's a good quality. But when you, what it's supposed to do is make you go back and look at the tape, right? And it's supposed to say, okay, is this guy as, as quick and as fast as we thought? Uh, sometimes it's even size-wise. Sometimes the guy's much smaller or, or even bigger uh, than what you expected. So, with Dillard in particular, a lot of people called him the best pass protector in the draft. And he didn't get a lot of hype because Washington State, you don't get to see him. We got to see him a little bit down in Mobile, but you don't get to see really good reps out of offensive linemen a lot of times. So 
Now it goes to, okay, he's an elite athlete. Now we know this. Grades very highly for a lot of people in terms of pass protection. Now let me go back and see, is he worthy of a top 15 pick? Is he worthy of that maybe number one tackle spot because Jonah Williams comes in, uh, arms just a hair shorter than what you'd like, but really 35 and a half inch is what you should be looking for instead of the old adage of 34 inches. But then Jonah Williams doesn't test well, and he's 302 pounds or, so, or somewhere in there, and he tests like an average athlete. Uh, I think the Joe Staley thing for him still works. I, I would still take him in the top 12, but now you may have some reservations because you don't have that assurance that he's an elite athlete. And then the other guy is Jawan Taylor, who didn't do all the uh, measuring, and he will at his pro day. But still, he measured in very well in terms of uh, length and size and weight. So it'll be interesting to see if he now is still the top guy after his pro day. But I think the top spot's open. I think Dalton Reisner should be in, in discussion. I think Cody Ford should be in discussion. And I definitely think Andre Dillard is in that discussion now. I agree. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the 11th pick in a minute. But we got to talk about the biggest Bengals news of the offseason, which is obviously no Marvin Lewis after 16 years. That probably covers your entire fandom, if I would, or, or pretty damn close. Um, yeah. So, I was, and now I was gonna say I'm 32. Taylor. I was going to say I'm 32, and that was 16 years. So, yeah, I I remember very little of before Marvin Lewis. Well, I've, I've been a fan of the team since probably I was f- – hardcore fan of the team since I was probably five or six years old. I'm I'll be forty this year, so I go back to the Sam Weiss days, the glory days if you will. So and then I suffered through the David Shua and uh, anyway, unless we talk about the Bruce Coslett era and all that, the better. But um so Marv's out and Zach Taylor's in. We knew Zach Taylor was in three weeks before he was formally introduced. And optimism was reigning. We were all happy. Yes, offensive guy, young, energetic. And then it just fell apart, Joe. Yeah, and I think it's mainly because at the time, you know, it was rumored, but we we had a great idea it was going to be Taylor. I mean, everyone, when we're down in Mobile, Alabama, everyone's talking about it's Taylor. But then everyone was also talking about there's a chance they can get Bill Callahan to go with Brian Callahan. Uh but they may have to give up some compensation because it came out around the same time that the Redskins weren't going to let Bill Callahan go as offensive line coach. So then it, all, it was also, and they want a veteran defensive coordinator to help lean on uh, because of Taylor's inexperience. And I, you know, to me, I'm like, great, this all sounds fantastic. You're going to get one of the best offensive line coaches. You're going to bring in a veteran guy. You hear Jack Del Rio's name, John Fox, other guys like that. And none of that happened. None of that came true for whatever reason, I mean, Jack Del Rio came in for an interview. If you read some of the beat reporters in Bengals.com, they say it was Zach Taylor's decision of once they got there and got talking that it wasn't going to work. Um, And for whatever reason, some of the other guys that they brought in, and and eventually they get down to their fourth, fifth option, Joe Anarumo, and okay, here's a guy that really wasn't on my radar at all. Uh, Offensive line, Jim Turner from Texas A&M, on my radar, but for all the wrong reasons. So it just ends up coming back. To, I don't feel really good about the supporting staff around Zach Taylor. I still feel the same way I did about him, which is optimistic because you really don't know with young coaches with a short resume the way he, he, he does. But at the same time, now the supporting staff doesn't look so hot, and I think it's taking a toll on all of us. Yeah, and 
go back to Bill Callahan and you said the compensation to the Redskins because he is under contract. I mean, you're sitting here with five sixth-round picks. I don't know what a compensation is for an offensive line coach. I mean, it can't be. You couldn't have lopped off one or two of those. That wouldn't have been worth it to me. I mean, yeah. And what what, what Bruce Arians, didn't the uh, Bucks have to give something to the Cardinals as a fifth or sixth rounder? So, and that's for a head coach. Yeah, something like that. that Right. Right. So, that was my thought also is maybe that we're talking about, you know, a pick here. But I guess the, you know, the Redskins valued him more or maybe it never even got to that point of, you know, he's not going to be released from his contract, so that's it. We'll move on. But uh, it was definitely a weird situation when you're hearing some of the rumblings and then the way it played out. We, we've t- I've, I've listened to your podcast, and y'all have beat the Jim Turner story to death, so I'm not really going to rehash any of that other than he's just not a good guy. Um, but his comments recently about Bobby Hart and Cedric Abway, they're not encouraging to me. No, not at all, in that he likes bigger offensive linemen also. Um, in today's age where I think pass rushers are getting smaller, you kind of want to counter that with guys that can keep up with them. So I don't like the idea of, of, of having a prototype, and, and hopefully he can go beyond that. Hopefully it's not solely up to him also. But, yes, his comments on Bobby Hart, and really the wrong comments, in my opinion, because you can say somebody plays hard and you like their, their demeanor and their motor and all of those good things, but don't get that twisted with being a good player, right? And Because you can, you can have those guys, and they're valuable to your team. But when you need someone to block someone one-on-one, they got to get the job done. And I don't care what their demeanor is. It, sometimes it helps to be a, a nasty blocker or, or, or a tough guy, but it, it's not a prerequisite to the position. So when you hear Jim Turner talk, it's more like he cares more about the attitude than the actual production. And he, this isn't the first time. I, this is just adding on to the pile of things he has said at Texas A&M and Miami. Uh, I believe there was one quote of him saying um, – I don't care who gave up the play or who made the mistake amongst my five guys. It's a failure for everyone. And on the surface, that's okay for coach speak, but it seemed like he genuinely believed that. Like he didn't care how they played individually. It's a performance of the unit, which I I get that completely. But at the same time, when you have a weak link or two, those guys need to be isolated and dealt with. And in Texas A&M and in Miami, he's, he's had poor offensive line results. And it's largely because he sticks with his guys and he goes with them, and, and he's really not pulling or moving guys or, or coaching them to a better level. He's, he's more about the, uh, the nastiness and the tough guys of them, which we saw boil over in Miami. Right. And, and clearly, I mean, you can blame the entire unit all you want, but the weakest link on Cincinnati's offensive line last year was obviously Alex Redman at right guard and Bobby Hart and yeah. whoever else at right tackle. Um, yeah, and so that's got to be addressed, right? To, uh, you, you would think so. I mean, you can. I mean, I think we all would agree you can address one by just playing Christian Westerman because every time he plays, he's yeah. good. But apparently, what do we know? Exactly. So, uh, reading between the lines with Duke Tobin, Zach Taylor, et cetera, it doesn't look like the Bengals are going to be moving on from Dalton in the uh, 2019 first round there, Joe. No, it doesn't seem that way. Although – the rumors we got during the senior bowl was that they were willing to dump him or trade him and pick up Ryan Tannehill as a bridge quarterback. Um, uh, Plausible scenario, but at the same time, didn't make financial sense for a lateral move at best. And 
so uh, the way Taylor and Duke Tobin have talked recently, nothing but support for Andy Dalton, backing him up as their guy, liking his attributes, which, you know, I get as someone who can be very critical of Andy Dalton, everything they're saying is true. He's smart. He gets the ball out quickly. You can run your offense through him and feel confident that he's going to get the job done. All very true. Uh, pre-snap, he's really good. All very true things. But the, the, the also truth is that there's two years left on his deal. And he hasn't performed well the last three years. He's been hurt two of the last four years. And this offense needs some new life and some new blood. And if, you know, once you are come to grips with those and you think his clock may be ticking, well, you do start to wonder when are they going to move on. And one other rumor of this past combine was that the, the Bengals ha- like Drew Locke. So, you know, I don't think they're completely out of the quarterback thing. When you say Andy Dalton's my guy, that's because he is. Who else on the roster is, is, is your guy right now? Uh, you know, until you go out there and bring someone in, Andy Dalton is your guy. But I don't think that precludes them from bringing in either a draft pick or free agent. The other rumor that's making the circles at the combine that really has my interest because he was my QB one last year is Josh Rosen being available by Arizona. If they are going to indeed draft Kyler Murray at number one, the, their yeah. compensation that you hear is off is all scattered out all over the place, anywhere from a third round pick to whatever. I would give up 11 if that meant getting Josh Rosen in to be the starting quarterback of Cincinnati. Now, obviously you may be able to get him cheaper than that, but I just wanted to get your take on that. And what, what, what kind of compensation would you be willing to go with? So here's the process. And I think it would be close to what NFL teams would do. You're going to watch that last year's Arizona Cardinals tape. And there's some good throws or some bad throws. It's really just a mixed bag rookie season, what you would expect for a poor, poor team. Um, so you're going to rely on your grade. You're going to lean on the grade you had when he was a draft prospect. There's a lot of teams that liked him. There's a lot of teams that had him anywhere. For me, he was number two behind Baker Mayfield. I liked him better than Darnold. Uh, I liked him better than Josh Allen for sure and, and Lamar Jackson. So for me, he's number two. And then when I look at this group, I probably would have him number one amongst this group. Now, having said that, it's hard to get the taste out of your mouth of what you saw last year. Normally, if a guy has a bad rookie year, no matter what position, it's not a great start for his career. And, and yes, Jared Goff type example, you can turn it around in year two. You can look at the situation and make exceptions, but you're still betting against history that he's going to completely flip his career around. Having said that, if you believe he's still that guy that you graded very highly, and let's say Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins go top 10 the way we expect, and you're there looking at Drew Locke and Daniel Jones, and you're interested in a quarterback at that spot, I think Josh Rosen is completely a better prospect than them, even with what I know happened last year in Arizona. Now, does that mean you have to give up number 11? I'm not sure. When you read the reports that a third-round pick, man, I think that's slam dunk. Not only are the Cardinals already on the hook for most of his contract because of the guaranteed signing bonus money, he, I think it's $6.2 million over the next three years. So basically you're paying him $2 million a year and giving up a third-round pick. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater just got a rental for a third-round pick last year. You, you would do this for a three-year deal on a guy that's still got some upside in health. Yeah, for sure you'd do it if you're a team like the Bengals. I think a lot of teams would be interested at a third round. And that's why I think you float that number out there, you get 20 teams interested in it, 
and then you let them bid against each other and try and get it as high as possible, which may be second rounder, Bengals pick 42. It may be a late first rounder if it's like the Patriots involved uh, with their last pick. So I do think the compensation will rise based on what we've heard this week, but I would be interested, very, very interested. I don't know where I would draw the line, uh, but if they're interested in taking a quarterback, then I get stronger about it. What about a scenario where you go back from 11 to, say, 33, and you you get Rosen? Was is that is that plausible? Sure, I think you'd have to look at the trade value chart on that and see what that's worth in a trade off. Uh, just off the top of my head, that'd probably be like giving up a second rounder for moving back that far. Maybe like giving back. Uh, one-and-a-half-rounder, if that makes sense. But, uh, yeah, I think that could work. That way, neither team really loses picks. The Cardinals gain, obviously, they'll have the first pick and then the 11th pick. That's two blue-chip players. They would still feel like they can get – I mean, imagine if they're thinking of Quinn and Williams now and they end up with Ed Oliver at 11 and Kyler Murray, well, what did they really lose besides some cash? So, for them, that would make sense. For the Bengals, you get a quarterback plus uh, 33, which would give you – an offensive tackle or a linebacker potentially. Yeah, it it can make sense for both sides, something like that, if you want to get creative. Right. I, I just I, – I see this. I, I think the Cardinals are completely insane for even contemplating this because, I mean, I'm with you. I, I think he's better than Murray as a prospect, and he, I think he's better than Haskins. I just I – just, I, don't, I don't understand it. Uh, the scourge of the Cincinnati Bengals is free agency. We know this. Um, yeah, we neither one of us expect them to do anything. Uh, when does free agency start? Is it Monday or something like that this weekend? I'm, I'm, yeah, the tampering period is Monday, and then you have soon. two days. Yeah. Okay, so Monday is when it starts. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Bengals' free agents this year is unrestricted on their team. Tyler Eifert, Darquez Denard; those are probably the two bigger names, I guess. Um, that that people probably interested and worry about it. You think, you think either one of those guys are coming back? I think if there is a potential for both to return, I start to wonder where their value is. Remember, they're not going to have the familiarity of having the coaching staff here that wants to keep their guys. Now, if it's personnel decisions, then yeah, it could be Duke Tobin saying, I want my guys. I invested these picks. Uh, but the coaching staff having a fresh start, they may look at Darquez Denard and say, well, we plan on playing more man coverage, and he's just not a fit for that. He's, You know, if Darquez Denard, if he has weakness, it's his quickness, lateral agility, and ball skills, and you could say deep speed. That is a lot of weaknesses for a guy that was a first-round pick, but I was never really high on him, so maybe I'm being overly critical. But he's a very good run defender. He's physical, he's smart, and he plays really well in zone. Because of that, he's going to find a home. I just wonder if when he gets out into the free agent market, does that mean his value is $6 million a year or does it mean it's $10 million a year? And if it's 10 9 even 8 I think the Bengals may balk at that. If it's 5 6 7 I think they, they'd definitely be interested in returning him. I think the same goes with Tyler Eifert. Look at, look at uh, the contract he had last year. It was a one-year, $5.5 million deal, basically. Loads of incentives. Not all of it really off the top of the cap because most of it was not likely to be earned. I could see an exact same deal for him out there. Now, if other teams jump in and want to bid on him, that's going to change some things. And it may make it too rich for the Bengals uh, to match. But at the same time, if you look at Zach Taylor and the Rams offense, they really didn't involve the tight end very much. 
you wonder if they have a limit on what they want to spend at that position. Do you really want to spend and become one of the uh, top 10 or so positional value teams at tight end or positional spending teams at tight end if you're not going to have them heavily involved? But at the same time, how heavily involved should Tyler Eifert be in this part of his career? He's probably a role player, but a very good one at that. Where the Bengals are going to spend their money is on their own free agents because that's what they do. And generally speaking, it's trying to get extensions done for guys who are going to be free agents after the following season. And that's where the list for the Bengals gets pretty long because after the 2020, uh, after, I'm sorry, after this upcoming season, 2020 free agency class, A.J. Green, free agent, Clint Bowling, Giovanni Bernard, William Jackson, Tyler Boyd, to a lesser extent, Nick Vigil, Andrew Billings, Christian Westerman. That's a lot of guys that are a lot of your core talent. Yeah, and they've got to make moves on those. I'm sure they'd like to re-sign Tyler Boyd. Uh, I'm sure he would like to re-sign. You know, as a second-round pick, that's a big jump in money where he could probably get 8 to $12 million a year, depending on where they both agree his value is. Uh, A.J. Green is the interesting one because you rarely see a wide receiver get a third contract from the same team. I mean, really rare. We looked at this stuff, Jake and I, on our podcast, and it's really just Larry Fitzgerald, and that's it. And now that's good comparable, though, because you feel like Green has a lot of the same values that Larry Fitz does, and maybe he would see that as, yes, I know my role is diminishing on this team, even though I think I'm still good. I'm getting up there in age. I've had dealt with injuries. Uh, we're going in a new direction. I may not be the go-to number one in an, in a year or two, and if that's the case, you know they can't pay you 15 million. They're going to have to pay you 10 to 12 million dollars. And if he can agree to that and understand his role, I think a deal can be done. If he still feels he's a top five receiver in the NFL, and I think he is when healthy and when a when the quarterback's on, uh, then he's going to want to get paid. And I think he still would get paid by a lot of teams. So it, it's that's why it's hard to give a third contract. I think that that middle of that fork in the road is where you split sometimes between wide receiver and where the team is going in direction. So he's interesting. I think they'd love to get William Jackson done, but also they have the fifth year option. They'll have to place on him this summer and that'll give them at least another year. And then you got to make decisions on Clint Bowling and Giovanni Bernard. Bernard, if you're going to lean on Joe Mixon as heavily as we all expect them or, or think they should, how much does that leave Giovanni Bernard as a, as a role player in this offense. So I think you could let that contract play out, even though he's been a really, really good player and fun player, you know, a favorite for a lot of people for a long time. Uh, and then the other one is Clint Bowling. And I think it's funny last year, because Paul Denner of the Cincinnati Inquirer wrote about maybe Clint Bowling could get cut because they think Christian Westerman is a left guard only, and they would insert him there and let Clint Bowling go or maybe trade him. I, I think he was just openly thinking this out loud and, I think there's some logic there. If a new coach comes in and sees Westerman can play, you look at bowling and say, well, he's got one year left, uh, and we think we can get matching production out of a young guy that we need to see play before he hits free agency in Christian Westerman. Maybe they move on from bowling sooner than later and, and, and don't re-sign him. But in all, it, that is a strong core of really what this foundation of this team is. Right. Uh, no doubt about it. And Bernard's another one that I could see – you know, maybe on the cut line as well, just to kind of maybe free up some money. Because like you said, Mixon is your guy. And you can't get Mixon more involved in the passing game if you're taking him off the field on third downs. Yeah. And I always wonder how you get Giovanni Bernard involved more. If you remember, he was a punt returner also in North Carolina. 
And as good as Alex um, Erickson has been on kick returns, he hasn't been good at all on punt returns. I'm looking at it like, man, how do we get the ball in the John Ross and Giovanni Bernard tan more? Maybe they should be on special teams a little bit. And when I watch, you know, the playoffs and Alvin Kamara goes back there to return one in a, in a clutch situation, I'm like, where's our guy to go do that? You know, and maybe that's a way to get Giovanni a, a couple more touches a game. But, I, you know, I'm just looking at it like, how can you get both guys on? Because I still think Bernard is a really good player. I agree, and I, I wouldn't want to cut him. I was just kind of throwing that out there as a, as a possibility. Uh, speaking of things that are depressing, last uh, thing before I get back into the draft talk, uh, report comes out from uh, Andrew Whitworth's wife about the complete just shaft job that the Bengals organization did with Whitworth. Just uh, what does what that? How does that make you? Uh, it, I guess it does. It's it's kind of like you kind of figured that's the way it was, but you don't want to hear it yeah. out loud. That's exactly what it is. I saw some people respond to, well, we knew this stuff already. Why are we bringing it up again? And there's some of that. Uh, we did know it. I think, but there, you know, I get a lot of mentions from Bengals fans and a lot of interaction. There is a large chunk of them that don't believe the Bengals did anything wrong or, or believe Andrew Whitworth just chased the money. So when you read that perspective, it's like, here you go, guys. It wasn't that at all. He would have taken less money to stay with the Bengals. It, it, they, he just wanted a fair offer. Uh, and when you know, when you could put two and two together, the other side was they didn't even offer a contract or even approach Kevin Zeitler about a deal. It's, man, what a terrible offseason that was. And they signed Drake Kirkpatrick to an extension that offseason. That was just a complete wow. I mean, you want to know why they're at where they're at right now, picking top 12 three years in a row? You start with that offseason, and, and you don't have to go very far to figure out why. Uh, no doubt about it. It starts with the 2015 draft and then the 2016 yeah. offseason. Those, those are your two points that you look at and say, yeah, this is why they suck now. And it's just it, – it blows my mind. I mean, even with Zeitler, I get it, you know, as far as money goes. But Whitworth, you, you cannot just let that guy walk out the door. Should have never happened. He meant too much to the organization, to the fan base, to the city. That's – you don't let that guy walk. No, no, no doubt about it. Uh, let's get back to the draft. Try to park our spirits up a little bit here. We know they're not going to trade up because they don't. They just don't. I mean, it's just there's a one percent chance that happens. Um, it so has to be for a quarterback, right? Could, right, and that's the only way. And I just I don't see yeah. it. But uh, and I yeah. don't really like Drew Locke, so I really don't. I just kind of hope that's not the. I hope that's just. I'd be, Here's, I'd be shitting my pants saying. if they took him. Gosh. Um, Ed Oliver, I'd, logic says he should not be on the board at 11. He's just too damn good. But Derwin James last year was too damn good, and he fell to 17. So, I mean, it could happen. Aaron Donald was too damn good. And there he was at, what, 12 or 13? I can't remember which one it was, him and Odell Beckham going back to back. He's no way he should have been there. He was number three player on my number two player on my board. It was, I had Teddy Bridgewater one, Donald two, and Khalil Mack three. But there's no way Donald should have been there. And the the old guard of they don't like that 285 pound frame on those defensive tackles. Uh, the shorter arms. You look at and he didn't do all the drills. He just did the explosion stuff and the jumps at the combine. But you go go to mockdraftable.com and bring up Ed Oliver. His top comparable right now for size and the explosion is Geno Atkins. So, I mean, 
you watch him on tape and you say, man, that might be Geno Atkins. It might be a little mix of Aaron Donald too because he's got that crazy athleticism. Uh, yeah, I mean, he should go top six, but there is a lot of really good blue chip players in this draft that may push a few of those guys down. Right. We talked about tackle earlier with Dillard and Jonah Williams. A um, couple other guys you've heard named Cody Ford. I don't. I don't. Don't see him being in play at eleven. I don't. I don't know that he's that good. You hear a lot about Juwan Taylor from Florida, uh, maybe. But uh, so those those are tackle options there at eleven. I think. I think a trade back from eleven to fifteen, sixteen or so would be more of where the value I think would be for offensive tackle. Yeah, I agree with that because. Uh, I could see the first one going top six, whoever that may be, if that is Juwan Taylor. But honestly, I think Buffalo at at nine makes a lot of sense. Denver at 10 could take one. And then the Bengals. So we're at the forefront of what could be five or six guys going the next 15 picks maybe. So let's let's think 10 between 25. And we mentioned Taylor and Jonah Williams and Andre Dillard, Cody Ford, uh, and uh, Dalton Reisner. It makes, makes five guys right there. Yeah, I'd love to get if you're if you're dead set on taking a tackle and none of them really jump off the page right now to separate themselves. I think I, even though I really like Jonah Williams as the number one, I think it tape wise he's the best. Uh, but there are other factors to make a good prospect, obviously. Well, so if I can get to 17 or so, 18 maybe even, and you're still picking a Dalton Reisner at that spot, or you're at 20 and you're still getting Cody Ford. I think you're in a great situation as this, as that team that spent a number nine pick or, or on Juwan Taylor, let's say. So, and then in that trade down, you pick up an extra second round pick, you know, maybe something else. But I'd be interested in doing that. In fact, I'd be interested in this year if you could trade back and do what the Bills did. I think it was yes, it was the Bills and, and Chiefs a couple of years ago. Traded back Bills, I want to say, went from ten to twenty seven. Picked up next year's first round pick. The Chiefs grabbed. Patrick Mahomes, the Bills take Tredavious White and end up with two first-rounders the following year. I'd like to have as many picks as possible for that 2020 draft if they're looking at, you know, this is a rebuild and we need to get in position to get a quarterback. Uh, that 2020, you want that ammo. Oh, I, I completely agree. Another guy who could be in a scenario like that available is Devin Bush, the linebacker from Michigan. Yep. Um, yeah, and I, I, I had not say, watched. I, I had not. You finished. Go ahead. <laughs> I had not watched Devin Bush until last week. I don't know how. I, I mean, I casually watched Michigan games this year, but I had not just full and watched Devin Bush. And I'm like, I keep seeing him first round grades, number two linebacker. Some people even have him as the number one linebacker. I'm like, okay, I, I'm gonna have to break down and do this at some point. And I did. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, he's really good. <laughs> yeah, and when you compare the two of them, there's times where the tape is better for Devin Bush than it is Devin White. And, you know, the power, he's a good run defender. He moves sideline to sideline. But then I say, you know what, Devin White is such a good athlete, though, and he's got the production scores that he's got to be the top guy. And he, he's just going to blow up the gym at the combine. And then the what we didn't expect was Devin Bush to be – maybe a slightly better athlete, at least in testing, I was floored by that. And it's not that he's not a good athlete. I just, watching the two of them, I thought, you know, Devin White is is the superior athlete. And now I can't even use that argument anymore. I sit here and I go, 
if I'm being honest with myself and not trying to think of what I thought the last two months, I'm not sure which one is better. And, man, that's a good situation to be in because Devin White could go before the Bengals even pick. It wouldn't be crazy now if the Bengals took Devin Bush at 11. And they could view him as better than Devin White, honestly. So we need to be open to to that idea. And I think a scary thing to me is now we're starting to get mocked to the Steelers at 20, Devin Bush. Man, I don't want that to happen at all. No, we want them to draft more Terrell Edmonds and yes. Artie Burns, <laughs> not not good players. Um, the other position that I think is in play for the Bengals is tight end with TJ, the Iowa guys, TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant. I think those guys, yeah. either one could go at 11 to the Bengals, would not shock me at all. Yeah, and – they're elite tight end prospects, as good as we've seen, for different reasons, too. Both, I mean, obviously coming from the same school, uh, they do a lot of inline blocking. They do a lot of pro stuff that you want them to do. They're not just flexed out wide receivers all the time. Noah Fant is the more of the athletic, too. I mean, he tested as much as everyone talks about DK Metcalf. If you compare what he did at receiver in the, at the combine versus what Noah Fant did at tight end, no offense, actually more impressive to, to have the testing. He is an absolute freak, and he's a fantastic route runner. He, in terms of because he's so freaky that, you know, it's hard for guys to cover someone that big and that fast. And he really, that second gear hits down the field when the ball's in the air, he tracks it well. He, I've seen him run away from corners trying to cover him on deep balls. No offense is an electric offensive weapon and a decent blocker at that. Uh, but then you go to T.J. Hawkinson, and he tested really good. Not like a freak, but he tested like he's going to be a super athlete tight end. His top comparable is actually Tyler Eifert. So, you know, he's a, he, I don't think he's a route runner Eifert was or the, had the ball skills, but those are two of his best attributes also is his route running ball skills, sure hands. His best attribute, though, is he is a monster blocker, and he's a sixth offensive lineman and should have an impact as a rookie right away. I love the idea of taking either one of those guys, but if you aren't in love with a tackle and you want to help out your blocking scheme and maybe even some of your pass protection, TJ Hawkinson may be a great pick at number 11. I completely agree. And Fant's combine was probably the best we've seen for a tight end since Vernon Davis. I, I would yeah. I would imagine. I mean, all around workout is it, it, comparison. Uh, a couple, we'll wrap up the Bengals draft stuff here. Uh, a couple more topics of the Bengals got five sixth round picks they got three comp picks in the sixth round you know because couldn't swing that A.J. McCarron trade to to Cleveland thank you Sashi uh so but that that's a bit excessive to me right I mean six five sixth round picks I mean you're not you're not getting at least three of those guys probably aren't going to be on the active roster I would imagine maybe at least two um so is there any value you can get packaging some of those picks moving up moving around no, you look at the trade value chart, and there, you would take all, I want to say it would take four six-round picks to move up 20 spots in the third round. I'm going off memory, but I did look at this. So it would you have to wipe out your sixth round, basically, to move up 20 spots. And I guess that could be worth it in the mid-rounds if there's really a guy you want. But at the same time, you like those roll of the dice at the end. And we've seen plenty of times, not so much late-rounders for the Bengals lately, but undrafted guys stick and make on the team and – uh, that's what you do with those sixth and seventh round picks is you are getting guys that you're targeting as undrafted. But you look at last year, right? Three third rounders, and I think it was three seventh rounders. 
And really the only guy in the seventh round that made an impact was Auden Tate, and he caught just two or three balls, whatever it was, but even though we wanted to see him a little bit more. Logan Woodside was cut instantly. Rod Taylor was on injured reserve. Those were the three seventh-round guys. Auden Tate didn't make the roster either. So then you go to the fifth round. Uh, Andrew Brown didn't make the roster at defensive tackle. Uh, Devontae Harris basically spent all year on injured reserve. And then Darius Phillips played a little bit. So what did you get out of the last three rounds there in the draft? Maybe got 180 200 snaps between Auden Tate and Darius Phillips, that you're not getting any. They're not really worth much. You're not doing much with them. So, uh, yes, you should try and use them as much as you can to move up and get these players. But at the same time, I still want the roll of the dice. That seems like I, I always want to trade up at this point because I, I there's always guys that you want when you reset the draft or reset the round. You know, when you get there uh, and it's Thursday night, Friday night, and you're like, man, I really want this guy. Trade up and go get him. But then that guy falls. It continues to fall, and you end up getting him. Whether it's Andrew Billings in the fourth, Christian Westerman in the fifth, guys, you know, they really like Marvin Jones in the fifth. So it happens all the time, and that's when you want those picks is when that draft night comes along and you're like, man, we still need five more picks because there's a lot of holes on this roster, and we spent a few of them on best player available that shouldn't make an impact in the earlier rounds. Oh, agreed. I mean, I mean, maybe maybe if a guy's falling in the fifth round or something, and you you want to get up and get that guy, maybe you deal one or two of those or something. Right. Um, and you know what? I, I should say though also that the Patriots would use these to trade for veterans with one year left on their deal that can come in and, and help their team. You know that they got Trent Brown last year as an offensive tackle for a fifth or sixth rounder, maybe even been a pick swap fifth to move up to sixth for the for the Forty ers That's what the Bengals should be doing with those picks. And then, and then when they walk after a year, they get those precious comp picks they love. Exactly. So this just seems like it's a win-win situation. Why aren't they doing this, Joe? I I don't know. They're behind the curve usually, and the Patriots are usually way ahead of the curve. But I wouldn't be surprised if more teams saw this and lately with the Patriots and go, "Yeah, we got to start doing this." Well, I mean, you look at just not just the Patriots, but the Rams did the same thing last year with Dante Fowler sure. and Dante Fowler. You know, they gave up a. Yeah, you give up a is it a fifth, I believe, or something along those lines, and you know, yes, it's it's what the good teams do, Joe. It's what the good teams do. The good teams are always looking to acquire veteran talents, and I don't feel the Bengals are. No. After day two's over with, what's your ideal scenario for the Bengals? Uh, so we're talking after the third round is over. Have they gotten a? Well, I guess a lot depends on free agency, right? Because if they go out there and they sign a linebacker or a tackle, uh, you'd feel much better about going in the draft and being open-minded about, okay, Ed Oliver's there. We don't have to stress linebacker or tackle. But if you want to take an Ed Oliver at 11, you better come back and, and let's say they haven't addressed these players in free agency. The likely scenario, right? They don't sign anyone or anyone of value. Uh, you take an Ed Oliver or a quarterback at 11, well, you are going to have a hole at linebacker or tackle it doesn't matter if you take one at 42 or not whatever position it is those guys are going to be there's a drop off if they're the top three guys mac wilson being the third linebacker we talked about the other two if he's not there i mean i can't think of a linebacker i want at 42 the class this year really dives off maybe ben burke in the third round or so there's a lot of guys that tested really well that i'm going to go back and watch and try and pick some favorites out of a Blake piece, cashman really. from minnesota is is one that uh, right. i need to go I, back and watch yeah, ran a four five zero. I mean, he tested phenomen- phenomenally. He met with 26 teams at the Combine, so there's a fair chance he met with the Bengals. So 
that is somebody I'm definitely high on my list, going to go back and watch. But point being is you expect those guys to come in and start. Those guys are on the Malik Jefferson, you know, value-wise in terms of the draft. You might have just as good a chance of Jefferson in year two hitting the ground running and, and helping your team out. So point being is if you wait until round two for tackle also, maybe Greg Little is still there, Titus Howard. I mean, I don't feel great about those guys jumping in and starting day one, a couple of Wisconsin guys that should be able to to plug in and play. Uh, they seem like very risky picks. And at that point, uh, you you wouldn't feel great about it. So for me, if they don't do anything in the draft, you would really like them to come away with a starting tackle and a starting linebacker in the first two rounds and then spend the third round wisely, of course. I think if, they, if Will Greer was still there and they wanted a quarterback, Will Greer continues to interest me because he's a bit of a wild card on the field and willing to be a gunslinger and push the ball downfield and into tight places, and I kind of want that from my quarterback. Uh, but at the same time, man, I think uh, I think this could be a chance that we don't just draft straight up for need and they take the best player available and say, listen, we're, we're our eyes on the future. We're not going to win this year. It's been three bad years in a row. We got a young coaching staff. Uh, we're, we're drafting for 2020. And, and with that in mind, you could see tight ends, defensive linemen, uh, you know, a guard. It, it could be really, it could get mixed up at that point. Wide receiver, even in the third round, because with green and Boyd being free agents. So it could get weird. My ideal scenario, I believe, is trading back from 11 if there's a clump of guys you like and picking up a third-round pick and using that extra third-round pick to draft Tyree Jackson. That's who I want, Joe. That's a developmental guy I think we can both get behind. You could hear his balls during practice in Mobile. Like, that guy has a cannon. His feet don't have to be set. Not only do they not have to be set, you see some crazy throws because of it. You see some terrible throws because his feet aren't set. He went from 5'9 to six foot seven from his senior year in high school to what we see now as a 21-year-old leaving Buffalo as a junior. I mean, he looks uncoordinated so often. And if, if you're a tall guy, you hit a growth spurt in a summer where you felt like you grew three inches, and, man, you couldn't do anything. And it killed your sports for that summer, right? And so imagine what this guy went through for four straight years and how that would affect you trying to play Division One football at the most important position. I don't want to write off his, his bad plays as just being completely growth spurt uncoordination, but there's a lot of it there. I mean, his jaw-dropping plays, his good stuff is – my God, I want that. He tested as the biggest and most athletic quarterback of all time. I want that. And even if he's not, a, if we're talking, he may be a third, fourth, fifth rounder. If you come away with him, that's just fun. I just want to see him in preseason. Exactly. Joe, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, and we're going to talk about some fun, some funner stuff, uh, non-football stuff uh, after the break. But here's a break that you, you and people you know might be interested in. So let's give it a listen. Are you thinking about a trip to Disney World, to Disneyland, and you don't know where to start? What's an ADR? How does that whole fast pass thing work? And what in the world is MDE? Let Rebecca Bosarge, Vacation Specialist with Coasters and Castles Travel, help. Her services are 100% free to her clients. She can take care of all those important details to make your family vacation the very special vacation that you want it to be. Rebecca Bosarge can book your rooms, your tickets, and vacation packages for any size group. Make dining reservations. Make all fast pass reservations. She can book special event tickets. Arrange any necessary transportation. She can also set up your My Disney Experience account and even create a personal itinerary for the duration of your trip. You will not have to stress over the details when you use a knowledgeable vacation specialist like Rebecca Bosarge. 
She can book Universal Studios, Busch Gardens, Alani, Adventures by Disney, and Disney Cruise Line, as well as all major theme parks and popular vacation destinations. Contact Rebecca Bosarge today to get your planning started by emailing her at rbosarge at coastersandcastlestravel.com. You can find her on Facebook at Coasters and Castles Travel, Rebecca Bosarge, and on Facebook at Rebecca B. C&C Travel. You can also find her on Twitter at VacationsRHB. Get in touch with her today. You won't regret it. And we're back with Joe Goodberry of The Athletic and the Locked On Bengals podcast. We've talked about the Bengals and the draft and all the depressing things that go with it, Joe. Now let's talk about Marvel. <laughs> yes, that's what we're here for. That's what we're really here for. Um, by now, I'm sure you've seen the Dark Phoenix trailer, right? I did. Am I getting the? Are you getting the same shitty X3 vibe that I got, or <laughs> are you a bit more optimistic? It feels half baked. I can't help myself. I love the X Men growing up, just from my time. I mean, the '90s X Men animated show was just fantastic. So I can't help but to be sucked in every time they they make a movie. But at the same time, we've seen this story before. How many times? I mean, there are so many more good stories for the X Men than than the Dark Phoenix or Phoenix Saga. So when they do this again, I roll my eyes first, and then I say, okay, let me watch this trailer and get a little bit excited. And, yes, it feels half-baked. It feels like with the merger coming or the reacquisition of Marvel of the X-Men characters that this thing was kind of stuck in limbo for a little bit. It was delayed originally. I wonder what we're going to get. Are they just going to try and get one last cash grab not really put their full effort into it. You can make the argument they've done that before, but also I think you can make the argument that Fox has done a good job with uh, X-Men since X-Men Origins Wolverine story, right? It's after that, they've been pretty good with the Wolverine, with Logan, with Deadpool, uh, with, I thought Days of Future Past was good. I thought uh, X-Men First Class was good. Outside of Apocalypse, I thought was terrible. They've been trending on a much better path. And because of that, it makes me want to give them a chance. I'm with you. I mean, I'm a, I'm going to, I think we're both going to go watch the movie in the theater because we're, yeah. we're both huge X-Men marks. And, but it's hard for me to get excited. It's hard for me to care about this movie, especially after apocalypse. So I think we both agree. It was, it was bad and it, it wasn't was Origins Wolverine bad. No, it was not. And, and the other thing that is hard for me to get behind is I know that it's all every character in this is going to be recast and redone and rebooted whenever Disney takes it over. So it's 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 like it's hard for me to get invested into it, you know, in this movie. But I'll watch it, and I guess we're never getting a damn Gambit movie. Yeah, that's been delayed forever now. And you know what's really sad is I think they've casted this current group of X-Men very well. And I, I mean, actually, they've casted the last group, but this group, if anything Fox has done right, they have casted excellent people in the roles and where I, it's going to be hard to envision. Not only, we've seen two versions of most of these characters now, old and young, that when they go to Marvel, I really wonder how they're going to handle that situation and bring those guys up. Really, uh, they may have to go in a complete different direction or really let them simmer for a few years, if not longer, before they, they unearth them for the world. The other recasting stuff, I think we briefly talked about it uh, in Mobile, 
at the Senior Bowl, we were talking about the uh, Netflix shows. I don't know if you finished Punisher yeah. Season 2 yet, have you? You did? I did, yep. So good. So it good. It was. I think they did everything on Netflix. I shouldn't say everything, yeah. right? Because I mean, Iron Fist wasn't that great. But the Punisher and Daredevil. Season 2 was, though. Season two of Iron Fist, it was I thought was really good, and I'm like, okay, you've got me now. I, I'm 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 with Iron Fist, and then it gets canceled. And then yeah. you're like, and I, but, I really but, like, like Jessica Jones. Did you? It's okay. It was all it's right. Okay. I, I mean that uh, of, of of the five, of the series they've done, that was the one I least cared about. Man, I thought so many times it was. At moments, their best, just because for me, first season, I liked the first season of Jessica Jones more than I liked the first season of. No, it was second season of, of Daredevil came out at that time, so I liked it better than second season of Daredevil, even though Punisher was in that. But Jessica Jones, the Purple Man, is such a great villain, and David Tennant that played him was so fantastic. But oh. you start to feel sympathetic for a psychopath that is making people do things against their will. I mean, that's. Mental right. rape and and physical rape. You're, I mean, they, he did that too. But uh, just the one time where he's like, he's trying to make you. Feel, what do you think? How, how do you think it makes me feel to have these powers? I told the guy to go fuck himself. You can imagine how that went. And I'm like, oh my god, you're right. Every time you say anything, <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> I like the character Jessica Jones, and I love Kristen Ritter's portrayal of Jessica Jones. I just. I, the second season I, I didn't care for at all. The first season was was, was yep. good, but the second season lost me. But I'm like, if you if you incorporate these guys, like if say they redo the series on Disney Plus or Hulu or whatever, I just don't know how you recast those guys because to me there will never that there is no more Ben Affleck as Daredevil. That's done. Charlie yeah. Cox is Daredevil now. Yeah. There is no more I, anybody playing Frank Castle. It's it's right, John exactly. Bernthal and Mike yeah, Coulter, I don't Luke Cage. Think, perfect, perfect. Casting. Agreed, agreed. I don't think they should recast him if they can avoid that. Uh, I really think you know there are missed opportunities too often. And Kevin Feige was just talking about how they're making a promise for the next set of TV shows to really be more involved in the MCU, right? Uh, and I would love for them to really do that. There's, we should know what's going on with these guys and some of these big world events that happen in the Avengers. Uh, I really want to see their entire lineup on screen at one point, if that could ever happen. And I think of DC and their missed opportunity to use that flash in their movies that I think would have boosted how people feel about those movies tenfold. Um, so when I think of them going to Hulu or, or Disney+, Plus it would be such a wasted opportunity to not use these good established characters. These aren't guys you have to go in and fix these, you know, those aren't half the X-Men that, that Fox has ruined or the fantastic four where you've got to completely wipe the slate clean and try and uh, refresh everyone's mind on them. These are good characters that have been portrayed. Well, honestly, I think three seasons of daredevil might be a complete full, perfect arc for, you know, a trilogy of, of comic book as, as you can possibly find. But having said that, if he's going to be more involved in the MCU as a greater universe, I want to see that, and I want to see it with Charlie Cox. Especially in, in Kingpin. I mean, he's a guy you could – Oh, yeah. God, Vincent, Vincent D'Onofrio was so good as Kingpin. Um, Can I get Kingpin and Spider-Man in a movie one day, please? Let's, let's – they got to make that. 
got to make that happen. Besides, are you going to go watch Captain Marvel this weekend? Yeah, we are actually. I'm taking my daughter. She's six. She wants to go see it. Yeah, we're uh, me and the wife are going to go Saturday night, I believe, and watch it. So I'm I'm going into this one with no knowledge of much of the character at all, kind of like I did with Guardians and. I ended up falling in love with with the Guardians after I, I watched it, so it's like I'm kind of hoping I get the same same deal. I liked Miss Marvel in the '80s '90s comics that I had a hold of as a kid and, and cartoons at the time. I thought Miss Marvel was cool, uh, strong, powerful, obviously all that. But she was a good Avenger, got along with everyone, and had, had a good aura about her whenever she spoke. And then she disappeared for a while, and I kind of, in my teenage years, didn't really care about it as much. And when I came back in my 20s and she was rebranded as Captain Marvel, I found it forced into a lot of storylines where I didn't think she needed to be in. And then once the MCU really took off, I'm like, well, damn, where's where's Miss Marvel? Where's Captain? Where's Carol Danvers, basically? I mean, I, we got to be getting her at some point. And it took, man, it took 10, 11 years to, to get her. So now at this point, I'm excited to see her and see what it is. I haven't kept up with Captain Marvel at all, but I do remember Miss Marvel, and I assume there's going to be a lot of um, connection to who she former was and a lot of the same issues she had before. So I'm excited to see it. Really, I'm excited just to get a Marvel movie so we can move on to Endgame because that is the Endgame, right? Right, and that that was the last thing we're going to talk about is Avengers Endgame coming up. Draft weekend of all that's the second straight year they've done this to me. Why? And I'm like, God, now I gotta wait till Sunday to watch it because I can't. I can't. You know, obviously, I can't go during Thursday, Friday, or Saturday of the draft. So it's like I have to wait till Sunday. And it's like, why do you just stay? And it's hard. You can't stay off the internet because you. I know. <laughs> because you're on Twitter, so it's like, wow. But uh. Yep. What's it's the be, worst, honestly. I remember last year trying to avoid it. What's going to be the biggest tearjerker? What's going to get us, Joe? Jeez. Um, man, you know, because I honestly think this, we got the original cast plus a few guys, right, trying to set things right. So I wonder if they're sacrificing themselves at the end for this to, to get things to the right path. But I also wonder if they're set on a different parallel universe or another timeline. And if that's the case, that could also be pretty emotional that they'll never get that back and never fix what is done. Uh, and which both are plausible because of the way Avengers stories have gone, that either they can fix it or they kind of have to make do and really make Thanos pay for what he did. But they're going to live with being in a different timeline than the rest of the group. Uh, and I can see that happening. Also, I think – I got to think Cap's going to die and we're going to get the scene that you remember from the comic of the civil war comic where, where basically it's Tony and Cap's laying there on the table dead. And, you know, he's just going through his mind of how, you know, their relationship could have went. I think we're going to get something like that. I wouldn't be surprised if they reversed it and it was Tony on the table and Cap going over it. But uh, I th- we're definitely going to get a moment like that. Um, I think a moment that I could see happening and almost like you said in the alternate timeline or maybe some time travel involved. And I think this will be the one that just sets me in complete just tears is if like we get some sort of reuniting with cap and Peggy, like, sure. and he goes back to the forties and that's where he lives. That's going to be the thing that's going to get me. Yep. That would change uh, 
That would change a lot. Yeah, because I right. You wonder how the ending is going to go. I wonder if they'll go to the future and see some of the kids between you know some of these characters that we've seen, and that could fuck you up. And you know, from an emotional standpoint, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of Into the Spider Verse because we've been watching it every day with the kids. And if you haven't seen it, it's fantastic. But just them jumping through basically getting all these different Spider-Men into the one universe and uh, the ultimate universe in Marvel. But doing in doing so, like Spider-Man seeing Mary Jane in the movie, if you haven't seen it, not a really big spoiler, but he sees her and he can't control himself and he gets really emotional. And, man, when I'm watching it, I'm like, damn, that's – yeah, that's that would be hard. And then he sees Aunt May and things like that, and I'm like, yeah, that would be tough. And so I could see in the Avengers, if they end up time jumping or, or getting stuck in a time loop – seeing some of these other characters either past or present is going to be, it's going to mess them up a little bit and, and, and could potentially derail their mission. Well, I know one of the uh, cast cat I saw a few months ago, they, they've cast a uh, aged up version of Cassie Lang. So that's got me thinking, yeah. okay, there's going to be, there's, there's some, there's something going to happen there. Um, so end of the movie, what of our main characters are, are standing tall? Just the new group, I think the new Avengers, basically, uh, and led by Captain Marvel, Black Panther, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, um, maybe Ant-Man's still there in the, at that time, because I think, you know, success-wise, they can continue. Uh, Falcon or Bucky, maybe both. Yeah, because they're doing a show on Netflix, so both of them should make it. Um, yeah, I think the original group is done. I can't tell where the Black Widow movie that was announced is going to be, if it's going to be in the past or in the future. If that's the case, it's she would prequel. probably survive. It's going to be a prequel. It's a prequel. Then, yeah, she, she probably doesn't survive. And I think this. I think the original cast is going to sacrifice themselves for the, the new guard. Well, I know one thing. It's going to make a shitload of money. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> they all do. How uh, if, if, if you didn't have Disney stock, this would have been the year to do it because just the money they're going to make from Captain Marvel, Avengers Endgame, yeah. Spider – well, I don't even know if they – they get half of Spider-Man, I guess, with Sony. Yeah. But they're also – what they have, the live-action redos of Lion King. Uh, That's right. Aladdin and Dumbo, all three of those are coming out this year. And then you have, with Pixar, Toy Story 4, and then you also have, I think, Frozen 2 – is coming out in November, and then Star Wars Episode Nine comes out at Christmas. Give Disney all the money this year; they're they're going to make it all. Aren't they already making all the money? And yeah, they're giving up some, I guess, for to get back their um, their X Men characters and stuff. But man, yeah, did they? Disney, they own everything. Uh, not just not counting what I'm going to spend at the theater, but they are going to get about six, seven grand from me later this year. So. <laughs> I'm I'm yep, into Disney right. already. Yeah, you're going, well, and we're Jeff, supposed to be going in December. So it's uh it's crazy. So Joe, uh, thanks for coming on tonight, man. Uh, tell everybody where they can find your work at the Athletic. I hope you subscribe. But uh, I write for the Athletic Cincinnati. Write about the Bengals less than I was last year, but I, I'm still on there at least once a week. Uh, and then locked on Bengals, and we do a daily podcast focused on the Bengals. My co-host and I, Jake Liskow, we take an analytical and, and a player evaluation look at the everything that's going on from news to the current roster to maybe potential moves. And besides that, I'm on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry, which we can always strike up a conversation and talk about anything. 
Joe, always fun talking uh, Marvel and talking Bengals especially with you, man. Thanks for coming on. Take care. That was Joe Goodberry. He writes for The Athletic and is a co-host of the Locked On Bengals podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry, G-O-O-D-B-E-R-R-Y. One of the best followers out there, especially if you're a Bengals fan, you're not going to get any more information out of him, more any better information than what you're going to get from, from Joe Goodberry. Uh, definitely one of my favorite guys. I listen to their podcast all the time. It's tremendous. So uh, that's going to do it. Uh, for this edition of the cheapest meal as always you can follow me on twitter at deep fried draft and you can find everything including like i said new mock draft this week new position rankings coming out later this week and uh combine uh, wrap-up coverage as well at deep thanks everybody for listening until next time